0: Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. Houston is underwater, but we are 100% okay. Uh, Game of Thrones countdown is upon us. We have 11 months until we see
1: Oncest 2019. 11 months. I don't know like, what sort of optimism train you're on. The long night is upon us, my friend. Yeah. Uh, we're about to go like 18, 19, That might be months. fair. That might be fair.
0: Just to see some more ants in your pants. That's all I'm saying. Uh, But you've also got the dress rehearsal, the Vikings game, 100% complete. So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to, of course, have arrow up and arrow down players, and we're going to round out with some of the roster questions that the team is going to be dealing with up until the end of the fourth preseason game, and then after that, where they have to go down from 90 players to 53. But before that, one quick thing about the floods in and around the Houston area. Of course, we're in Austin, Texas, and. While Austin, Texas did get hit with some rain and some wind, no major damage. Everyone here was cool. But Houston, and we've got friends and family, or at least I do, that are definitely affected by the floods. Um, If you can, in any way, shape, or form, donate to a charity or some relief efforts, do that. Um, Don't donate to the Red Cross. If you've read any ProPublica stuff on them, um, I just recommend that you do, but don't donate there. Um, Donate to a local charity. Oftentimes, money is indeed the best thing to donate. I know it sounds kind of crappy, but um, I mean, I think J.J. Watt's doing the thing right now. I think he's up to like, what, six million or something. That's the new goal. Yeah, the
1: last video that he posted was like, yeah. OK, we're six million. We're climbing this like every hour, Good. basically. And do it. Uh, Yeah, set a goal of 10 million, which is, is I love pretty it. awesome. And, I love and it. they uh, was really happy to see that they canceled the Cowboys Texans. Me too. There's game no reason. Well. Yeah.
0: yeah. And and yeah, it sucks for maybe some like kind of bubble players, but I think it's it's the right thing to do so. Definitely, you know, near or far donate to a charity, do a little bit of research um, and definitely read some of the stuff on charities from ProPublica because it's super duper interesting. All right. Enough with that stuff. Let's get to the rundown because this 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 might be an official holiday for David. This, (laughs) This might be the day that David is finally free of Vance hands like feet McDonald because he was indeed traded to the Pittsburgh Steelers for just a bit more than a ham sandwich. We we sent Vance McDonald and a and a fifth round draft pick to the Steelers for their fourth round draft pick. And David has seen deliverance.
1: Sign me up. All about it. Taking that all day, every day. Um Yeah, man. I mean, it was it it's 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 great on a number of levels. I mean, Vance McDonald, like I I understand why people like wanted to believe that like you know each year that he was going to get better and that you know that there's there's some talent there and you you can see that at times right you see him having it's not like he's never had any positive plays during the, his time with the niners but uh i i think yeah, just from a, a consistency standpoint uh he never really got there i mean there there are a lot of factors that can go into that but uh i mean well, ultimately, do just can the two yeah like can <laughs> catch the ball uh and and i don't know how he got like for some reason, I'm starting to see um, comments from like beat reporters and like various uh, internet people about like Vance McDonald and Garrett Selleck being like uh, good run blockers or like blocking no, specialists. that is objectively not um, true, which is really wrong. Um, especially Garrett Selleck. Like Vance McDonald has like some redeeming qualities at times. There, he's he's not like terrible a hundred percent of the time. I had a um, whole
0: I had a whole article, I think, where I went through like a tweet series of Garrett Selleck's just awful run blocks. I'll see because I put it I put it up on Niners Nation last year. I'll see if
1: I can find it and put it in the rundown of the podcast. Cause yeah, he's not good at blocking. Yeah, Garrett Selleck was like one of the worst run blocking tight ends in football last year. So um and, and he also had last year uh, among like qualifying tight ends, I forget what the number of targets was. It was something like twenty or something. I I I forget exactly. I'm sure I tweeted out at some point, but um he had the highest drop rate among tight ends last year as well. So uh, dropped something like six of 35 catchable passes. So yeah.
0: Vance McDonald over his career had what, like an 18% drop rate, which was uh,
1: 15, 15, something, 15, yeah. something, which was like twice. The it was twice the league average because le-
0: yeah. the tight end league average is like 7.2. Uh, and so you're looking at 14.4 for double the league average. And Vance McDonald was like anything you can do. I can do better. Um, yeah, there were
1: some people that, like, tried to bring up, like, the the fact that, you know, oh, last year it was, wasn't was quite as bad. Game. Well, like, last year's drop rate was the lowest that it's been in his career, but it still, like, wasn't good. It was still above 10. Like, he's had a a 10% uh, percent drop rate or higher in every single one of his seasons. So it was like, yeah, he used to be really, really awful. Like, catch, uh, uh you know, like, drop a rate of passes that, like, should get him cut, sort of thing. To now, it's just like, oh, he's just really bad. Um, and yeah. like, that's not a, it's still not good. Like, I'm not giving him a lot of credit for that. I'm, that's not ma- making me uh, encourage that he's not going to continue to have these problems in the future.
0: He's got uh, basically each one of his hands is an average tight end at dropping passes. <laughs> and, and you put those two hands together.
1: It would make sense if he was like if we, all of a sudden we were just uh, like all blind and like yeah. realizing that he was trying to catch every single target one handed like yeah. okay that's an acceptable acceptable number of passes to that's drop act, like that's I'm that. okay with this I'm impressed yep
0: <laughs> but yeah no so uh, adieu into the good night into the long night Vance McDonald uh, basically we tra- I mean I did some of the the kind of like the the crunching <gasps> of. Uh, Well, not really numbers per se, but just trying to figure out what the range of spots we could move up based on this pick was because we're we're moving up one round, sure, But the Steelers are probably going to be better than average. Who knows how deep in the playoffs will go? The Niners are probably going to have somewhere in like the top 10 of a pick. And so based on those numbers, I'm I'm projecting that with some compensatory picks at the end of the fourth round, you're the Niners are going to move anywhere between like five and 30 spots. Like five is like one of the worst case scenarios where it's yeah, I mean, like
1: mean, five's like Niners. Number one pick Steelers won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. If you throw worst a, case scenario, uh, basically. Yeah. Some, some and then you're down. looking at like 30 picks
0: jumping up where, you know, the, the Steelers finish somewhere like the 22, 24 range, maybe 26 if they, you know, kind of go in the playoffs and Niners maybe finish like with the seventh or maybe if all, like everything breaks their away, like the 10th or the uh, like 11th pick or something yeah um
1: i feel like i feel like uh if i had to settle on like a middle ground somewhere that that i would want to use as a projection i think yeah like around the 15 to 20 picks right is is probably what you're you're ultimately and
0: the niners of course are no longer saddled with um with the contract because the the signing bonus accelerates hell yeah the signing bonus does accelerate but the signing bonus was actually pretty palatable all things considered i think it was only like 7 million
1: and also loads of cap space this year. So yeah. if, if you're going to have some, you're gonna uh, yeah, yeah, you're going to have some hits and, and kind of uh, cut your losses with some bad. Uh, I think uh, you know the Ahmad Brooks thing. Uh, you know, I think they had I forget what cap hit or what he was scheduled to make this season, but uh,
0: something like eight million. It was a little yeah. absurd.
1: Um, I think like four. I thought I saw somewhere like four and a half was his guaranteed figure this year. That makes like sense. That. So, but it's like, yeah, this is the time when you, uh, you know, have all that cap space. Let let those sort of uh, bad contracts, which they don't have many of them. I mean, we've talked about that a bunch before. But, um, you know, this is the year to kind of get those on your cap and, and move forward.
0: So only other news in the NFL is the release of Joe Hayden. Joe Hayden is someone who has now he's going to sign with the Steelers. And that's a whole thing. But for a while, like for just a hot minute, the Niners wanted to take him out on a date. So my question to you, David, is would you have wanted Joe Hayden in San Francisco? Like, let's say we signed him for a little bit more money than the Steelers paid him.
1: Why? Like, what What do you possibly gain by signing Joe Hayden? Um, I mean, I mean, this is, again, this is a team. Like, Joe Hayden is a pick. I mean, one, hes I don't think he's a very good football player anymore. Like, maybe you argue, um, you know, that a lot he's of the the things. He's the Carlos
0: Rogers, if you will.
1: Yeah, that a lot of things are going wrong in Cleveland over the last few years. And, and you know, he wasn't being used correctly and, and some different things like that. Like, sure, maybe he's going to be a little bit better, you know, going to a, a more stable situation in Pittsburgh. But. Um, he, he's still not somebody that's going to like come in and, and you're not banking on him being a top tier player at cornerback, right? That's going to be like a, a defense changing player essentially. And he's, he's somebody that, again, he's a little bit older. Um, you, you don't know hundred percent what you're getting because of the way that he's played over the last few years. Uh, and it just doesn't make sense. Like that's a move that, you know, a team like Pittsburgh, right? They, they need some cornerback help. They're pretty good, uh, you know, in most other spots and, uh, they're a team that's planning on, you know, competing to to kind of go deep into the playoffs. And like, yeah, you, you're going to take a chance on a guy like that, because if he does work out right and he can be all of a sudden like your top cornerback, then, yeah, that that is a that's a big move. That's going to make a big difference in in the outcome of your season when it comes playoff time. But the Niners are not near uh, to that stage yet. They need to focus on developing younger players and having like a veteran come in like that, that takes snaps away from. Uh, a Dante Johnson and a Kella Witherspoon, you know some Quan Williams, all young guys that don't have a lot of snaps under their belt um that would be more detrimental to them in the long term.
0: It's not you, Joe Hayden, it's me. I need <laughs> to focus on myself, I think is what we're trying to say, actually, it's probably a little you too because you're crazy um
1: so yep. yeah, I mean them, them he doesn't really fit on the crazy hot scale yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's below the crazy hot he's line. Bu- <laughs> is
0: it's math folks it's a we we tell you we're going to give you advanced analytics here to make you a better rival science okay yeah Yeah, it's just science right so let's get to the game recap for the vikings because this was indeed the dress rehearsal for the 49ers the third preseason game of course is the all-important preseason game it's the one where the starters are going to play the most amount of time it's the one where the coaches might even game plan a little bit to make it feel more like a game week and that's exactly what the 49ers did this week and wouldn't you know all of a sudden you've got offensive explosion two drives two touchdowns Brian Hoyer looks the best he's looked all preseason. um and we'll we'll talk about where he ranks in in the rankings here in a minute cuz I have to do a bit of a mea culpa if you listen last week but Brian Hoyer man this was his breakout game he's uh he's slanging of course this I I'm right right he's in he's in the the <laughs> I'm not even, I can't even say that with a straight face anymore <laughs> um if you listened to us last week you know that I was uh, making the diluted argument that Hoyer was in the kind of—I think I—I I
1: figured out what happened. Oh, sorry. So go ahead. Yeah, you were you were higher. Yeah, I, on, I on, was. On yeah, that. I
0: was higher on Hoyer, and and you could argue that I was high on Hoyer at this point, uh, <laughs> or just high.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly.
0: But basically, I was arguing that Hoyer was at the bottom half of like the second grouping of quarterbacks. So you've got your top eight, which are your upper quartile. You've got you know then your your sixteen quarterbacks, which is you know two quartiles. And then I was saying that Hoyer was somewhere around that 16, 15, 17 kind of area uh, because of the Shanahan bump. And and I actually, I went back and this is, we we're diverting quite a bit, but I, I went yeah. back and I actually did a composite ranking of where they ranked in DR, which is Football Outsiders metric, uh, quarterback rating, and then my own subjective ranking. I averaged out their rankings for 2016 and then figured out where they ranked. And yeah, Brian Hoyer is very firmly in that third, fourth, kind of bracket area
1: yeah and i also think uh because i i remember all of a sudden um i think you mentioned something about them working together in houston and they never worked together in houston as well because you were giving them uh you know, trying to like the shanahan bump right essentially yeah. and it was like uh they they had their time together in cleveland of course but uh kyle shanahan was actually in houston before hoyer was even drafted actually and it wasn't uh, I think that maybe you sense. were like throwing a little Matt shop Houston yes. into the Brian Hoyer ranking there, yes. which makes a little bit more sense. Yep. That makes um, a lot of sense. But yeah, I think uh, in this game, what you really saw is, is uh, Shanahan putting him in position to succeed. I mean, it was, it was still really simple, you know, even though uh, there was more game planning, uh, it was still like not the most creative uh, stuff happening offensively, like especially in the passing game. Um, and, and I think really they set him up with, a lot of very easy throws on those first two drives, right? So, uh, of course, he had the long, you know, the play-action touchdown pass to Goodwin that was it was kind of your deep shot there. Um, but on the other... So he started the game 9-9, nine and nine, including that touchdown. If you look at the other eight throws, though, those are the ones where you see Shanahan really set him up for, for some easy completions, essentially. So on those eight throws, uh, he got rid of the ball. They were all three-step or five-step drops, so getting rid of the ball quickly... Um, on average, just a little over, just a shade over two seconds uh, to get rid of the ball on those eight passes, which is, uh, you know, if, if someone were to, and someone would never sustain that over the course of a season, but That's if they blazing. did, it would be like very, very comfortably like the fastest uh, time to throw in the league. So getting rid of the ball quick. And then, of course, when you're getting rid of the ball that quick, generally you're going to be talking about, you know, shorter underneath throws, and and that was what we saw here. So his average depth of target, how far down the field he was targeting receivers on those eight throws was just over four yards, 4.1 yards. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, he was focused on the middle of the field, which is something that he's liked uh, to do throughout the preseason. So um, I think that's really kind of uh, very much the best-case scenario for this, like, Hoyer-led offense, right, is that you see – um, Shanahan and, uh, and also like the threat of this run game, able to open up some, some windows underneath for some easy throws, um, for some short completions for him. And then, you know, once a quarter or something like that, you're taking your deep shot down the field, uh, off of those play action passes. And you're hoping to hit on, you know, one or two of those a game for a big play. And I think that's, you know, kind of, uh, what we can, we can hope to expect.
0: And that's the offense that's going to keep the 49ers competitive over the course of the year. If they can stay on schedule and they can put Hoyer in positions to succeed, Kyle Shanahan will scheme some wide receivers open. I mean, that that play action on the Yankee concept where Goodwin is just running that deep post was, I mean, the dude was there was he was beyond college open
1: have we mentioned has anybody mentioned recently i think it's uh, been more than 30 seconds since somebody mentioned that marquise goodwin is fast yes um, i think that might that, that might the, the make clay. it
0: that might make it into the drinking game <laughs> We've got to re- completely revamp the drinking game. Uh, which that's
1: yeah, that's definitely going to go in there. Anytime, anytime somebody mentions Marquise Goodwin in like track speed track. or Olympic or something yeah. like that, yeah,
0: yeah, he's an Olympic sprinter. Yeah, we're yeah. definitely going to do that. So you, but still, I mean, he he proved it. He's a fast. He's a fast dude, and he really is. And I mean, it's w- not a lie. It, yeah, no, it's not a <laughs> lie. And and so I mean, it was great and it was awesome. But this is this kind of offense is not an offense that's going to. Necessarily dominate or take over games. Like we have to stay on schedule. Things have to break our way. The defense has to perform well and we can't get behind. And if any of that house of cards begins to fall apart, then all of a sudden, you know, you're not going to win games. And so, while yes, it was exciting to see the 49ers do this against a team with a good defense. I mean, Mike Zimmer's defenses are well coached, the Vikings' defense is a good defense. They were one of the best defenses in the NFL last year. But at the same time, we just have to, like I think that yesterday or not yesterday, but in in the game against the Vikings, everything went perfectly in in where the starters were playing, and that's and that's I think like the peak that you're going to see.
1: And the thing that's going to be a struggle too, like to really you know, um, that's going to make things more difficult for the passing game, especially is even on those those first couple drives where they they moved the ball down the field and got those touchdowns. Right, the run game still wasn't there. Like they they weren't running the ball successfully. It was no. a lot of two, three yard gains. You know, I think they had like a five yarder in there somewhere, but it was, it was mostly unsuccessful plays in the run game. And when all of a sudden you're, you know, you're a team that wants to run the ball a lot on first down, you know, you want to keep manageable down and distance situations. Um, two yard runs on first down, like ain't doing it right. Then all of a sudden, uh, you know, that's, that's a, a quick ticket to like an incomplete pass on second down. And then all of a sudden third and long, right. Which those are the absolute situations that we want to avoid with somebody like Brian at quarterback, right? You want to, again, give him the easy throws, let him get out there on play action where the defense has to respect run and, and he, he can get some open guys. Um, when you put him in the shotgun, you know, or whatever, and you put him in a situation where everybody knows that he's going to drop back and throw the ball now and, and all of a sudden you're getting your pressure packages on defense, you know, um, you're, you're expecting pass all the way, Like, that's not the situation you want to put him in. That's not where he's going to see a lot of success.
0: So we saw the effects that we've seen the play, the effects of play action all preseason. And this week was no different on both of the touchdown passes from Hoyer. You saw play action. Of course, we talked about the long pass to Marquise Goodwin on the Yankee concept, which is something that Kyle Shanahan has done for a while. He did it with Atlanta as well. Matt Bowen actually had a really good breakdown of the, like the 15 Shanahan's favorite concepts or favorite plays. And this is one of the concepts that he details. But there was also the angle route or the Texas route to Carlos Hyde on a high-low stretch in the middle of the field. And that was also on play action as well. You're vacating that central area of the field where the linebackers are going to be. And I mean, it really is. These are some gimme plays. When when the score is tight and the defense still has to respect the run game, this is what play action can do for you. And this is, again, what Kyle Shanahan is doing to set up his quarterback to succeed. So I I don't know that that kind of pace or that kind of offense is going to be sustainable over the course of you know a whole game or or a whole season but it's good to know that the team can flash which is why i think that you know five wins is about where we're at because it's not like we've got an easy schedule
1: yeah i mean the the funny thing too about that second touchdown pass the one to hide uh is that I like I, I've watched that play a bunch at this point. Um, I feel incredibly confident that he was not throwing the ball to Carlos Hyde there. I don't think I've seen anyone else mention this, um, but you look at the end zone replay on uh, on on that play and you watch his helmet, right? watch the watch the stripe of the helmet. This was something that we mentioned I think a few times during scheme month, and uh, that really lets you know where that player's eyes are and where he's looking and what his focus is. And you see him uh, initially when he drops back, he does look to the right. He looks at Carlos Hyde first, but then he moves on. He doesn't stick with that, uh, that read there. He moves on to the backside of the play and he's looking at Marquise Goodwin come across the middle. And if you look, you can see Marquise Goodwin coming across from the opposite side as Carlos Hyde on this dig route behind him. So he's at like, I think, 12, 15 yard range, deep in breaking route uh coming across the field there. And and Marquise Goodwin thinks he's getting the ball. He he goes like uh makes the motion like he's gonna go catch the ball right behind him and Hyde just happens to come across and snatch it. And I and I think yeah if you look at it where Hoyer's looking on that play, uh to me I, I very much think that he kind of just uh it, it was just a lucky break. I mean it likely would have been a completion still to Goodwin I think. I think it still gets in there. I don't know if it was a touchdown. Um, I think good uh Goodwin was probably in more of a position to get tackled, but yeah, it was uh uh just kind of, you know, a little bit of luck thrown in there, I think.
0: So if it were luck, he'd be injured and he would be on the colts. Um but no, kidding. Uh Ouch, Ouch. I know, I know. Um I, I so here's here's the only thing I would say to that, because I remember you told me that last night when we were watching the film and I was like, Yeah, you're right. It looks like he totally just lucked into to making that pass. But you, you, and he also double pumps the ball. He like goes to throw it, and then he like he's like thinks better of it, and then he throws it again. The only thing I can think of is he looks to hide, confirms that it's man coverage, or confirms that it's Harrison Smith that's going to throw, and then he tries to move the linebacker with his eyes and kind of looks this way. And he goes, "All right, all right, all right." I'm moving with my eyes, and you can see the linebacker start to move that way. And then he finally like kind of snaps back at the last second and throws it to hide.
1: One, um, I'm not giving, like, Brian Hoyer that much credit. That's, that, uh, and it's the Optimist view, right? It's, and, it's the Optimist view. And two, like, it's, if he did that, he's, like, threw it no-look style, basically. Like, uh, he yeah. turned into, like, Magic Johnson or, I'll, or something like that. I'll post it because um, we have
0: the end zone view from the, from the TV tape. And I'll post that on Twitter, and I'll let you be the judge. Whether or not yeah. you think Hoyer intended to complete the pass to Hyde or whether or not he was intending to throw it to Goodwin.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, again, I feel like pretty confident that he wasn't. I, 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 like nobody, I guess, is like else has paid attention to it. Nobody's asked him a question. I only watched, like, so when I watched the TV tape, I only watched the condensed view. So I didn't, like, look, I thought about going and trying to see Shanahan's reaction, and it looked like he had kind of a smirk on his face. Like, yeah, he wasn't throwing it there. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. Somebody should, uh, like really wish that like one of the mats or something would would ask uh, Shanahan or Hoyer that. To, uh,
0: we'll we'll an tweet at Barrows. That. Barrows a friend of the podcast. Uh, fun fact: I actually met Barrows to do an interview for the podcast back in the day uh, in my car in the parking lot of a Whole Foods. Uh, not creepy <laughs> at all.
1: Wait, <laughs> you did like an in person interview with Yeah,
0: him? I was in the Bay Area visiting family, and I was like, "Hey, I'm out here in the Bay Area. You know, would, do you want to do an interview?" And and he was like, "Yeah, sure." And I was like, let's you know, let's meet up. I'd love to meet. And He was like, sure. Uh, and and I was I was trying to like run to the airport. Like something happened. I was running late. And yeah, he like he was nice enough to meet me in like the literally the parking lot of a Whole Foods. Um, <laughs> he is really cool. He's a really really nice guy, Matt Barrows. Um, and yeah, yeah so yeah, friend of the podcast. We'll ask him. We'll shoot him a note. But, but I guess real really quick before we move on to the defense, I would love to just hear your thoughts in, a, in, in as condensed a package as humanly possible. And I have a feeling I know what it's going to be. Why the running game is not working, considering that we have a talented running back and this was a rushing offense that, you know, it, it's not necessarily, you know, terrible, but it's, it's been able to rack up yards in the past. Is what, What's the problem with the running game over the course of the preseason? And do you see the 49ers turning a corner when it comes to run game efficiency under Kyle Shanahan, at least this year?
1: Uh, it's the offensive line, and no, I don't really see that getting a whole lot better. I mean, I, I think they'll get... Um, th- there are some things that seem to be just a, a sort of lack of comfort level in the scheme. Um, you know, like some errors, I think, that that do probably get cleaned up That will, that will maybe open up some runs here and there. But ultimately, I think the interior offensive line... Uh, is just a major problem in the run game and I think Trent Brown uh, is is still pretty hit or miss like I think he's had some good blocks like there have been uh, you know some plays uh, one of the ones we mentioned last week right the first play of that game uh, in the second preseason game uh, was like maybe one of the best run blocks I've seen him make on his own play Um, and and so like there have been some flashes in there but still the consistency is not there he's still uh, you know I think more bad than good so uh, I, I don't have, yeah, a high level of optimism that that's going to really clean itself up over the course of the season. I mean, the interior line, especially, even if you have a little bit more hope for Trent Brown, um, the interior uh, three are a problem, uh, you know, especially at guard. Guard guard is really, really bad. Like, the, the 49ers have some of the worst guards in football, um, and that's not going away. And we talked about last week, I think, uh, pretty heavily about how it only takes one guy, right? You can have four guys up there doing the right thing and doing their job. But if one guy can't, you know, if you, you have a guy that can't get a cutoff block in the backside, or if you have a guy that can't quite get a, get ahead, you know, if your play side tackle can't get that reach block and seal the guy inside, like that screws everything up. You get one guy get penetration in the backfield and it's over. So um, yeah, I, I think that's going to continue to be uh, an issue uh, throughout the season.
0: But so we're going to talk a bit more about the offensive line when we get to arrow up, arrow down. So we'll do a little bit more player, not player by player, but we'll talk about probably some problems, at least in the preseason game. Uh, so we'll, you know, we'll talk a bit more, but it's definitely the offensive line and it's probably, and I think too, I mean, if we look at two games ago, we talked how Carlos Hyde was, you know, not necessarily gaining all the yards he could have based on what was blocked. Yeah. I thought he, I thought he did a much better job this game doing, you know, kind of pressing the edge on the outside zones and being a bit more patient with what he needed to be. So I think as Carlos Hyde gets a bit more um comfortable in the scheme you'll see m- a few more yards get churned out just simply because the running back is better is making better reads even if the offensive line doesn't improve which I don't yeah. think it will.
1: Definitely. I, yeah, I think that's some of the stuff right that that gets uh maybe cleaned up with more familiarity, right as yeah. they get more reps and they're continuing to run this in practice throughout the season like uh they're going to get some of those little things I think cleaned up for sure.
0: So let's talk about the defense then, because there were a couple of interesting defensive wrinkles that we saw this game that we weren't expecting and that were a little fun to watch. And the first was Elvis Doomerville. And I apparently, we not only have problems uh, speaking names out loud on this podcast, but also spelling them because <laughs> I keep trying to spell Doomerville Do like, or vile. like Vaudeville, uh, I L L E, apparently. It's just V I L.
1: And then I didn't even think so, like because yesterday as we're we're kind of putting together some notes uh, on on the show. You like is it one L or or two L's? And <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, it's one L. I didn't even think like consider that you might be throwing a an, an e. e on the end. So, of yeah. It. So then V I L E. And so I'm going through uh, looking at it before the show, and I'm like, who's Doomer Vile?
0: <laughs> Elvis Doomer Vile. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, it works. You yep. Know. Elvis
0: Doomerville. But uh, Elvis, <laughs> preseason for all of us. That's right. Uh, you look, we're all getting better. I'm in the best shape of my life, though. That's all I'm saying. So Elvis Doomerville, uh, he this is a player that we expected him to line up at Leo. But in this game, he was kind of roving. He was all over the place. So the second snap of the game, he was roaming around and it looked like both him and Foster were kind of pressuring the the gaps in between the the nose tackle. And then ultimately, he kind of just goes around to the edge and rushes from his usual weak side defensive end spot. On third down to the same drive, he starts over the left guard, and then he moves over to the right guard and rushes from an interior rushing position. And then in the second quarter, you have a very, very similar look where Doomerville's kind of roaming around. He ends up over the right guard, and then you know he kind of drops into coverage, and you've got an overloaded blitz on the opposite side. So it looks like Sala is using Doomerville as kind of a, a movable piece and he's rushing from several different areas to the point where he didn't line up in a three-point stance all game. So the usage of Elvis Dumerville is going to be, I think, something interesting to watch because it definitely seems like, at least in this game, maybe they were trying some stuff out or whatever, but he was the pass rusher on display in this game.
1: Yeah, and the the thing I think that, that did kind of confirm what we had hoped for him or what we kind of expected after the signing initially, right? So I think... If we remember back to that that episode after he was initially signed and you see the Twitter reaction, right, of, oh, he's going to be the Leo, immediately becomes the first team Leo, right, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold up, like, this dude's old, right, he's not going to be out there playing in, like, base situations and, and playing rundowns, right, and, and we kind of talked about how the best use of him is going to be really getting him out there on pass rush situations, right, we want him, like, well over 90% of the time when he's out there to be rushing the passer, right. To make the best use of, uh, what we're going to get out of him this season. And so far in the preseason, that's exactly what's happened. So he has, uh, 23 total snaps in the preseason. 20, though, 21 of those are rushing the passer. So he has one run snap and then one where he dropped into coverage on a zone blitz, which Uh, is this
0: one, the one that we're talking about.
1: And, and that, uh that's it. So like that's exactly what you want to see from him. He's not going to be somebody that plays like I don't even think he'll play 50% of the snaps, right? He's going to be a specialist and he's going to be out there when you need somebody to rush the passer and then he's able to kind of give full go. Hopefully that keeps him healthy throughout the season um and then you really get the kind of most of his ability to get after the passer.
0: And teams have done this successfully. I mean, you look at what the Falcons did with Dwight Freeney, right? Dwight Freeney is an aging but still talented pass rusher. If Dwight Freeney were out there playing 85% of my defensive snaps, I'd be worried. But when you put him in there on strictly pass-rushing snaps, and he is fresh and he's rested, he re- he re-wrecked shop. He had a bunch of pressures and a bunch of sacks for the Falcons last year. And so I think that's kind of the model that the, that the 49ers are going to use with Doomerville. And I think it's a really, really smart signing. And I think it's a really, really smart, effective usage of someone like an Elvis Doomerville. And Doomerville. And one of the things I noticed in the way that he would rush the passer, though, that surprised me was how he was able to use his right arm to neutralize tackles with a surprising degree of effectiveness. The word I actually put here in the agenda is alacrity. He was effective with his right arm with a high degree of alacrity. That's not even how you use that word. I just like the word.
1: It's like a GRE word. right? It is a
0: GRE word. It actually may have been. That's probably where I learned
1: it, to be honest with
0: you. Like fifteen years ago, when I took the GRE, I was like, "Yeah, that, yeah, that checks out."
1: That's
0: <laughs> I'm gonna remember word. this one. Yeah, it's right up there with assuage and ameliorate. Uh, all A words. Yeah, yeah, you didn't
1: make it very far, like down your list of GRE words. You're like, need I'm to. really sticking with the A's.
0: Here. Didn't need to. Look, that that gives you my effort level. Just scratching the surface. That's all I need. Uh, but yeah, so Del- Elvis Dumerville and his usage was something that was interesting in this game. The other thing that was interesting in this game was how the 49ers did not seem to play a lot of under or 4-3 under, which is what you would think they would play if they were playing a high degree of kind of Pete Carroll defense. But they played a lot of over this game. And, of course, if you remember from Scheme Month, the over alignment for 4-3 is where the three-technique tackle is over to the strong side. So he's lined up over the strong side guard. And in in the first game, when you think about when we broke down the Kansas City Chiefs game, in the opening drive for the starters you had almost a 50-50 breakdown of over and under snaps so you knew they were going to be versatile with playing over and under but against the vikings they were exclusively in their over defense to the point where they only played an under front twice and that was because of overload formations because of a 3 tight end set and a 2 tight end set
1: yeah it was uh it was a little bit surprising i think there were, so there were a couple things on that that uh that I think were important to call out, right? So one, like, why do they go to that front when they're in, you know, so these these were multiple tight end sets, right? Each one had three tight ends on the field. Um, on one of the snaps, it was actually a false start, uh, but it had all three tight ends to one side, all, all on the right side of the formation. And uh, the other one, you had two to one side, one on the other. So uh, when they, they went to those and they went into the under front, like the reason that you do that uh, is you want to get more players on the strong side, right? So you get your nose tackle for one on the strong side of the defense that gets your, your strong side linebacker. So Eli Harold, right? Dakota Watson, whoever's in the game at this point, um, they're coming down to the line of scrimmage uh, to, to kind of get into one of those tight ends and be able to be a a bigger factor in the run game. And then you also, uh, when you have that much of an overload, right? And you only have one receiver to worry about on the opposite side of the formation, uh, you get your strong safety down there, so they get Eric Reed uh, down on that side as well, and and so it really gives you more defenders to the strong side of the formation to be able to handle that sort of overload. Um, but yeah, basically every other snap, uh, you know, I did, went and did a quick check uh, throughout the the entire first half essentially, and those were the only two snaps that they went to that front. So uh, I think that was something that that was interesting and and will be interesting to monitor kind of once we start getting into the game's account now. Um, and then the other thing was that we finally uh, we saw Eric Armstead move to the strong side defensive end. Like who could have possibly seen that coming, that he may be a better fit uh, over on the strong side than the weak side? I don't know. But uh, yeah, they, he he played <laughs> um, almost exclusively on the strong side. I think the only time that I remember seeing him uh, on the weak side was actually just a result of motion. So he started out when they set their their uh, formation, he was on the strong side. They motioned the tight end opposite, uh, and they just didn't. You know, they, they weren't going to bother to flip at that stage of the snap. So, um, yeah, I, I think things, that
0: things are fitting in their natural state. Like it, the, the natural state of things, when you look at their, their when you look at how the person fit the archetype for the position, you think to yourself, okay, if you're going to put DeForest Buckner at three technique, then you you think to yourself, you've got to have a close side or strong end that's likely going to be Armstead because he can do that because he's big and he's strong and he's done it before. And then you think your weak side defensive end, that's the person who's got to be the most explosive. They're generally one of the more athletic people. They're usually in that 270 range because they can be a little bit lighter. They don't have to hold up as strong at the point of attack because they're on the weak side of run plays, generally speaking. That sounds a lot like Solomon Thomas. I mean, Solomon Thomas has a ridiculous P-Spark score. He is athletic as all holy get-out. And he's shown that over the course of the preseason. All right. And then Earl Mitchell is very clearly your nose tackle. That's about where they line up. And then you're talking about Armstead at Leo. And that's where he played in the first two playoff games or the preseason games. And then now things are beginning to feel like they're settling into their normal state. With Solomon Thomas playing that weak side defensive end. Earl Mitchell at nose tackle. Buckner at three technique. And Armstead at the big end.
1: I mean, I am glad that they got this little experiment like out of their system. Hopefully, in the preseason. Um, hopefully, that's, that's all that I got to say. Like, it's it, ultimately like it wasn't that hard to see. Like, it wasn't that hard to see how these guys fit. Um, if you if you watch their tape, you watch what they do well. You watch, you know, you look at their body types, you look at their athletic profiles. Like, um, I think it was pretty clear who fit where on this defensive front, right? Maybe you start to argue whether um you know i think there's a, a small argument to be made like if if armstead and buckner are interchangeable at the big end and the 3 technique i think arm or, or excuse me buckner is uh definitely like has a chance to be more impactful player at the 3 technique so that's why you put him there um but yeah i think this defensive end situation was all like way too complicated early on and like yeah. they 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 just kind of uh thought themselves try to think that maybe eric armstead was a more athletic player than he really is but uh, he's going to be good, right? Like, he's not, we talked about after the draft, like, it's not that we think that he's a bad player, that he was redundant when it comes to to Solomon Thomas and uh, DeForest Buckner. Like, he's going to move inside when you get into to pass situations, when you get into your sub-packages, and he's going to, to have an impact if he can stay healthy, rushing the passer from the interior. He just wasn't that weak side, uh, you know, edge player that they kind of wanted him to be early on.
0: And the thing is, is his, his kind of dropping of weight and his renewed um, kind of nimbleness, if you will, is still proven to be beneficial, at least on one snap against the Vikings. There was a snap against the Vikings where the defensive back blitz, because apparently that's what Sala's tendency is, is to blitz the hell out of a defensive back. And this was a play where Eric Armstead kind of fakes to the inside and goes back out to the outside and he confuses the hell out of the, out of the offensive lineman, and it allows Eric Reed to basically get a free rush onto the quarterback on the blitz. So, I mean, his athleticism can still be an asset, even though he's playing on the other side of the line. It just means that Solomon Thomas now can go and wreck shop and do what he's supposed to do, which yeah. is explode off the ball and get to the passer.
1: And the the I mean, the fun thing is Eric Armstead is going to if he if he does stick at that position, they do settle on this and and decide to keep him there, uh, full time he is going to destroy tight ends in the run game. Um like it's it's going to be just a joy to watch. Like there yeah. there we we were talking about it when we were watching kind of uh you know the the defense yesterday and it, it was like okay even if they're bad you know it's nice that you're starting to get some things like it was Reuben Foster that really brought this up right. Reuben Foster is just like so much fun to watch. Don't
0: and, spoil arrow up uh, <laughs> arrow down David. We still have to oh, get there.
1: Really no I don't think anybody uh is really expecting Reuben Foster be arrow up here. Um, I mean, but it's just, he's, he's so much fun. And I think, you know, you get moments like that. You get Eric Armstead playing a position that he fits a little bit better. And again, he's, he's on those tight ends being on the strong side a lot of the time. And he is just going to just destroy some of those guys in the run.
0: game. All right. So we've got to move on. But one other thing to note here is that we also saw another defensive lineman play a different position. And that was Tank Carradine at the weak side defensive end position, which
1: Let's kill that with fire right now. I'm, we don't need to go into tank, but, but like, no. I'm going
0: gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say that that's, that's another little mini experiment that I think the team is probably just trying to find a place for tank because if Armstead moves to strong side, um, then, you know, tanks, they're, they're trying to see, I think, if tank can be a backup across a couple different positions because I think, kind of like how you have a swing tackle, I think they're trying to figure out if tank can be the swing defensive end. Which I think
1: of, I think that's fair, right? So yeah, it, it's uh, it's definitely a different conversation if you start, okay, like is he somebody that can fill in on a limited basis across the D line, essentially? Yeah. When, right? you 50, when you have fifty, when you
0: have fifty three players and your roster spots are limited, yeah. and you, you need positional versatility,
1: and we know they're going to rotate the D line more, and right? we do,
0: we do, and you and you know that he's not going to play nose tackle, right. right? So so you think to yourself, okay, where where can you play? We know you can play big end, although I'm not going to buy into you're almost an elite six technique bullshit. Like, but, you, but we know that you can play big end. We know you can play to the close or the strong side. Now can you play to the weak side? Can you play three technique? I think they're just trying to figure out what he does well so they know where to deploy him once he's coming in in relief is really all I think that is. Yeah. But let's get to arrow up and arrow down because there were some performances of note. Uh, of course, there was one huge performance of note, which we'll get to here in a second. And then we'll get to arrow down. And then we're going to round out with a couple of quick hit roster battles on what we think is going to happen when we get to cut day. So let's get to the Arrow Up players, and of course, we would be remiss if we didn't note if we didn't note the number one Arrow Up player. I think for the game against the Vikings was good old Raheem Mostert. He may have won himself a roster spot this week because I like if if I were making the decisions, I would go ahead and put him against uh, him over Tim Hightower. And that's if we keep four halfbacks. He was the pro, he was on the Pro Football Focus team of the week. He had 130 yards from scrimmage, two touchdowns. One via the air, one on the ground. Of course, that one via the air was an 87-yard touchdown on like a third-down screen that had okay. no business.
1: Third, it was like th- what third, third and 19, twenty. Yeah, it was third like third and 20, twenty or some it, shit. Yeah, yeah,
0: that had no business getting a first down, <laughs> let alone a touchdown. Uh, and and I think the most impressive part of Mostert's game is that he's had three broken tackles on in, in this game against the Vikings. He had three broken tackles on six touches, which for the game. Puts, oh, no, for, for the game, I think, put his elusive rating at like 253. Yeah, probably over the, ridiculous. Over the course of the preseason, though, his elusive rating is 105.3, which is pretty ridiculous because the leader last year was Jay Ajayi, and his elusive rating was 76. And typically, an elusive rating in the upper 50s is good enough for a top five ranking. And right now, Mostert is at an elusive rating over the course of the preseason of 105.3. Which would be absolutely bonkers.
1: Gotta love those small sample sizes. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's been. I think he's got. So you mentioned the three broken tackles uh, on six touches in this game. I think he's got six missed tackles forced over the course of the preseason so far. So um, yeah, I think it comes back to you know it's all like a similar conversation to the Joe Hayden thing, um, where it's like when you're talking about. Uh, do I go with this younger player or do I go with a veteran like Tim Hightower? Right, I, I think with just where they're at right now and kind of their their roster building and, and the development uh, that you're hoping to see with these young players, like it just makes more sense, I think, to go with a younger guy, uh, go with a more inexperienced guy that might have a little bit more potential. Like, yeah, maybe you know what you have in Tim Hightower a little bit more. Right, he might be a little bit more reliable. Um, because he's been, you know, in the game longer. He's been doing it more. He knows, uh, you know, kind of uh, what he's doing at this point. But like, what the, the 49ers aren't going to have a lot to gain from having that type of player on their roster, right? Why not see if somebody like Mostert can come in and surprise and exceed expectations, right? Uh, we know that Tim Hightower's not going to do that. He's he's going to be the guy that he's been.
0: Well, um, we also saw that Mostert plays a lot of special teams. And he's played fairly well on special teams as well. And we saw Hightower actually playing some special teams against the Vikings because I think that's probably what what the team is trying to do is figure out, okay, where is there a differentiator perhaps on special teams? Uh, it, because if Mostert is not only viable on special teams, but an asset on special teams, and he is performing just as well if not better in the run game, then I think the decision becomes pretty easy. We're going to get to whether or not we are going to keep a lot of running backs when we get to roster questions. But... Raheem Mostert, um, definitely, definitely, I think the award winner for the Corey Sheets as our future player of the preseason. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be Matt Breida, but Matt Breida basically came in and dunked on everyone so well that it was like, no, 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 Everybody's you're you're, like, you're gonna make like
1: he's number two. You're on the, yeah, yeah, like
0: you're gonna make the team. Like we're we're not even gonna give you preseason reps. You're gonna make the team. So he kind of dunked on him differently. But let's get to the person that I, I had to stay, David, for a minute to, to get to. But that's going to be Reuben Foster because he, he's going to be really, really fun to watch. Really Dude. fun to watch. He's already fun um, to watch. I mean, th- this is a guy who was targeted six times. He, only, he allowed four receptions eight, for eight yards. And on those four receptions that he allowed, he had three stops which is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you, you know the play, of course, first play of the game, Dalvin Cook, five-yard loss. But then a, a little while later, he hits LaTron, La, Laquan Treadwell, and I'm pretty sure he's still dead.
1: He hasn't gotten up yet. He though.
0: still has yeah. not gotten up. I mean, this, uh, is, this was such a pretty play. It was, <laughs> it was a mesh concept, and Treadwell's like, oh, yeah, here, I'm going to go ahead and catch the ball and start running. you see Ruben Foster break on the ball from six yards away. 6 yards. And from the time that Reuben Foster decides to start running, which is about the time the quarterback starts to decide to throw the ball, he collides with Treadwell at the instant he catches the ball for like a 1-yard loss or a 0-yard gain.
1: Um it's so so this is the thing I think the best way to kind of point out just how much Reuben Foster stands out is it, the difference in athleticism between him and current version of Navarro Bowman is stark. Uh and it's like, look, I love Navarro Bowman. Uh I don't I'm like not trying to imply that he's done or that he's not gonna be a good good player this season or anything close to that, right? He's he's still gonna be a good player. I right? think, you know, barring any sort of injury. If just, Derek
0: Smith has the athleticism and be like a reasonable linebacker, then like Navarro Bowman even, still has an athleticism. Even Navarro Bowman and, after like and, yeah.
1: two major injuries is is it's still, still above
0: Derek good. Smith.
1: Yeah. Um, but you watch them, right? You watch them react to... Like there was a play that we were watching where you it was a play-action fake, right? And you see who kind of like uh, diagnoses that and then gets into their pass drop quickest. And it's like they recognize at the same point, but, but Foster gets like an extra couple yards on his drop because he's just...
0: So much it's, quicker. It's a legit yard and a half. Um, it's a legit yard and a half.
1: He and he's just everywhere. He's just flying around. And it's like Sal, I think, you know, said something along the lines this week of uh even if you have, you know, some deficiencies, if you can run and hit, you can you can cover those up. Essentially, sometimes uh, football is simple and it linebacker like if you can fly around and hit people and and, and you can kind of diagnose run and pass get to the ball. Um, and, and that's like, I mean, he's just going to be everywhere. And it was, it's, it's really funny too, because, uh, a lot of people seem to have the impression that he was really like a, a run only player at Alabama. And that's just not the case at all. Like he, the, 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 reason that you even consider, I mean, we weren't high on taking him as like a top three player. Um, but the reason that he's even in the conversation to be like a top 10 pick as a linebacker is because of the impact that he can have in the pass game. And that's not only in coverage, which we've got a chance to see throughout the preseason a little bit here, um, but as a pass rusher too, we're going to get a chance to see that at some point this regular season, his ability uh, to, to be able to blitz and get after the passer because he's excellent in that regard. Um, and so those are the reasons that you consider taking a linebacker like in the top of the first round. Uh, it's not because he's a run stuffer. You can find those guys. Uh, just about anywhere. It's it's the ability to have an impact on pass downs that really separates him.
0: And he's a really, really smart player. He does not fall yeah. for the for the bullshit that a lot of linebackers fall for. In in the run game, there was a play that we noticed where you you have a design cutback play. And the play is designed to attack the the backside and it's it's designed to make that weak side linebacker over pursue, get out of position and have Dalvin Cook basically just blow through the hole. And Reuben Foster doesn't even fall for it. Doesn't fall for it. He notices it right away, stays in position, stays home, and is able to help make a play on Dalvin Cook, who, by the way, Dalvin Cook looks good. Um, he looks really, really good. Uh, and, and so I think that that's, it's just, he's a really, really smart, instinctual player, and it's going to be a joy to watch him all year. It's really going to be.
1: Yeah, he's just going to have those plays, right? Like, even when things are bad, there are going to be, like, a couple Reuben Foster plays that just, like, yeah. make you smile.
0: So uh, the last arrow up player is going to be Elvis Doomerville, uh, not with two L's or an E, just regular old Doomerville. Uh, but uh, we, we talked about you know his both usage uh, over the course of like what he did for the scheme, so we won't dwell on that for too long. But I just think that he, he's played so far really, really well. The way that he's got leverage, the way that he bends around the edge, he timed a snap on one play that was just absurd. Like, he not off sides, but it looked like he was kind of timing of the snap. Um, and he absolutely abused some second string players. Poor number 69 of the Vikings. Don't even know his name. Probably not going to need to know it. Um,
1: <laughs> the, way, the way that that looked. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, yeah, we we talked about Doomerville, you know, a, a little bit earlier there, kind of talking about defensive observations. Um, the, the other player that I'll add, since we won't spend much time on him just quickly, uh, is Aaron Lynch. I think he deserves mention as well. He's been, uh, you know, maybe one of the best defensive players for the 49ers this preseason um i think so far uh, in the nfl
0: this preseason top yeah, 10
1: yeah he's like the 10th highest graded player in the preseason so far uh for us at pff um he had eight pressures in in this game um and and i think he's just a player that if he can you know approach what we hoped from him a couple seasons ago right if he can can start to even become that player again uh that makes such a significant difference because they they need guys uh, they need multiple players that can can have an impact rushing the passer off the edge. Uh, and, and so if he can really uh, you know narrow things down there and, and be able to have an impact, like that's going to have a big, big, big difference on this defense.
0: All right, so let's get to our arrow-down players because there really are only two, and they do have to do with the interior of the offensive line. On the starting offensive line unit, you're going to have Zane Beatles, which is our first arrow-down player. Quite frankly, his run blocking is horrendous. Over the course of the game, he had... This was over the course of the game, right? Not the preseason because it's more yeah, than 11. This is, yeah. yeah, just this game. In in this game, he's had 11 run block snaps. His PFF grade was 28.2, which is... And that's normalized from like a 0 to 100. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty terrible.
1: Even though it's 0 to 100, like you almost never see grades below... Like I mean, even in the 30s is pretty rare. Um, Below 30 is like... I had to... Go like do some surgery. Like, I, I just like couldn't recall seeing grades below 30.
0: He struggles on outside zone blocks on the reg. He We saw him run blocking on an ISO, and it was pretty atrocious. One of my notes, literally, when we were watching film, was tickle monster because it, it looked like he was just like he stuck his arm out to try and tickle the dude he was supposed to block instead of actually blocking him. Th- this is the level that we're at with Zane Beatles. We're beyond the tap your leg snap the ball level. We're like, he's going to like squeeze your knee to try and tickle you. Basically. He's uh,
1: an Elmo doll. He's an, he's, is,
0: he's basically, we, you know what? A giant Elmo doll might do better at blocking on the run.
1: Cause it might like distract, like it might just like throw the, someone's going to be like, like a giant just, Elmo. And what? that's going to
0: be oh, long enough to be like, yeah, to run in that gap. I mean, and, and there was <laughs> one, and there was one play where he had a kick out block on a power play and he just like it looked like he was so confused. He just ignored it. He it didn't looked like he was so it. confused. He turned
1: up. He just missed his assignment. Like he uh, ignores. He's like, nah, uh, no, screw that, dude. I'm gonna go up here and get this linebacker because this seems cool. Yeah. Um. And it was just, uh he's he's not good. Like any. Like I don't know. Like, they're when you're trying to play like the optimism game with some of these players on on the offensive line, it's like, oh, Zane Beatles, when he used to be good, you know, like it was in a zone scheme and it was fine, like. He just—he's just not good anymore. Like I—I I don't know, uh, you know what the what the cause is, what flipped the switch or whatever. Uh, that, that, what
0: flipped the off switch?
1: <laughs> yeah, like it just turned him off completely. Um, it, it just like I—I'll put it this way. Uh, I've been pretty hard on Josh Garnett. Uh, I, I think, and I have never wanted to see Josh Garnett in the lineup more than after watching like this last preseason. Um, it just which
0: it'll be interesting to see if the Niners put him on designated to return
1: uh, I hope he's back soon um, because it's just yeah like, there there is like legitimate hope with Josh Garnett right like being a young player uh, being somebody that was drafted highly that you know we thought uh, could do well graded really well at you know PFF in college um, like there's there's ability there um, even if it didn't really show all that often during his rookie season so you, you know there's there's hope that he can improve with Zane Beatles. Like, I mean, he's very clearly done. Like, he's not a, yeah. a competent player at this point anymore.
0: The other player that is going to be on Arrow Down, and this is someone who actually got some positive pub earlier in the week, is going to be good old JP Flynn. Uh, JP, don't call me PJ, despite the fact that I might be a little as dexic. Uh This is his- a
1: do is keep both guys. Like, I think where the roster is at and looking at some of the other positions. Um, You know, I tried to kind of go through and build like a, a 53 man roster projection. And I think it makes sense for them uh, to keep eight offensive linemen. You know, a lot of times you'll see seven, right? You'll see your five starters plus a swing tackle and then interior guy um, is, is reserves there. I think it makes sense for them to maybe keep one other guy uh, within that group. And I think if they do, Magnuson would be there. I don't know. You know, it doesn't seem like they're maybe comfortable to put him in. Uh, as a starter, which is what they would have to do, right, if Garnett's not ready and then they cut somebody like Zane Beatles, right? Because I think once, if if, if assuming everybody's healthy, it's Fusco and Garnett that would be your presumed starting guards, and then Beatles would be kind of your uh, utility guy as an interior backup. Um, right now, though, we don't know about Garnett, right? So if if Garnett's not ready to go and you've got to start somebody else, in week one, do they feel comfortable starting Magnuson over Beatles? Like it seems like the answer to that is probably no. This is why I think um, that
0: this is why I think that Garnett is is a su- surprising. Maybe it might be the wrong word, but is is a, definitely a candidate for the injured reserve but designation to return because the the qualifier there is that you have to make the fifty three. But once you make the fifty three, then you can be de- then you can be designated to return.
1: They've been, uh, like, neither have been good. Uh, like, it, it, it's it's uh, not a great choice to have to make, I think, going between those two guys. Um, but right now, I think they both kind of struggle in pass protection. But I've seen more of Gilliam uh, being a plus in the run game than I have with the... So I think, you know, it. Uh, if, if you had to insert one of those guys in at tackle... Um, I I want them to at least have some redeeming qualities in one area, right? Uh, If if they can't do, um, you know, both well. So I think that's the direction that I would lean. um, And and really, I think it was what separated them was this last preseason game. Gilliam was really good in the run game, actually. Um, It was it was very surprising. One of the things that really stuck out watching that tape again. So, um, yeah, I I think that's the direction that I would go with here. And then I think you probably if, if you're, you know, if you want to take a chance and, and still try to develop Theus, you know, I, I don't see any problem getting him on the practice squad again.
0: Interesting. So let's go through the other positions and and let's talk about we're going to we're going to go through about four or five different position sets and we'll go through them fairly quickly. And, and let's talk about some of the, the battles and the questions that have come up as a result. But let's start with the quarterback position. Uh, is good old CJ beat hard? Is he the number two quarterback uh, over Matt Barkley? Yes or no?
1: Yes. Yeah, he's been beaten so hard. Um, I mean, <laughs> like number two. You know? uh,
0: so then, the, and I, I agree. I do think he is the number two quarterback over Matt Barkley, but then the question becomes, do you keep three quarterbacks or do you keep two?
1: I think I still probably keep three. Um, again, just with where, like it, it just comes down to their, their not players at other positions that I feel strongly about keeping, you know, like I, I think if, if yeah, if you had um, just too many talented players at corner, too many talented receivers that you wanted to keep, uh, and stash an extra one of those guys, like you would do that if if you had that problem. But uh, they they don't. Yeah, they they need guys yeah. still, and I think it still makes sense to keep another veteran backup, right? And, Somebody and this have is some
0: experience. I think this is where my anxiety about releasing certain players to waivers i think is probably m- more magnified in my head than it than exists in reality there are lots of times where we think to ourselves as fans oh god don't cut that guy because you know we love him and so that means that means other teams must love them and and that means they're going to get picked up on waivers when they get cut and that's likely not the
1: case yeah most players don't like it's it's pretty rare to see somebody claim that
0: yeah, it's likely not the case, and and so when I when I think about keeping two or three quarterbacks, I think to myself, you know, I think Matt Barkley is probably good in the quarterback room, even if he's not a good player, and and I think to myself, okay, but if I can get rid of Matt Barkley and I trust D.J. Beathard, then I can keep someone like a Cole Hikutini, or I can keep someone like a Raheem Mostert, or I can keep someone like a Kendrick Bourne, or something like that, like some other bottom on the roster player that I maybe don't want to expose to waivers, but. I think it's just my anxiety about like not feeling comfortable taking that risk, even though it's probably fine in the world of the NFL.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, with, with quarterback, they end up keeping three. Like, I think it would be more surprised to see them cut Matt Barkley. Um, at this stage, like, even though, you know, he may have been replaced as, uh, as the primary backup, like, it just you want to have it, like Hoyer's no sure thing to start all 16 games like there's a yeah. really solid chance that you're going to have to go to one of these backups at some point during the regular season um and then if you compound that with an injury uh you know you you want to have somebody like that. Point the is you there. don't want to
0: have to turn to Christian Ponder in week 8.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yep.
0: Uh, I, b- although will Blaine Gabbert be available? <laughs> oh
1: my God. No, I'm done talking about Blaine Gabbert. I don't have to do that anymore. I have to pay attention to him. He's not in my life anymore.
0: All right. Halfback. Do you keep a fourth running back?
1: Yes. Yeah. I, a fourth I, halfback. Not, yes. not Yeah. Yeah. I mean, juice is, his own kind of thing yeah. at this point. Um, yeah, juice he's going to be there. Um, I, I think I do. Um, it just, you know, I, I don't, I think it really comes down to I just don't have players at other positions that I like more, right? I I, I think um, having two rookie guys as your primary backups maybe isn't something that I think most coaches are going to be very comfortable with. So does that
0: then lean you more towards Hightower over Mostert?
1: Uh, still. No. Yeah. I guess I'm still not going with experience at the position. I, I, yeah, I, I guess don't I don't throw really,
0: that experience bullshit at me then. <laughs> I
1: don't ha- Yeah. I don't have a great reason. Um, I, I think most are probably, I have a, a great more. reason.
0: He's looked good.
1: Yeah, but it's, you know, you you have to factor his preseason, but I, I think it goes back to the conversation we were having, you know, earlier in terms of give me kind of the unknown younger player at this point that, that has an opportunity to maybe, uh, progress yeah. and, and develop and get better. Rather than the veteran that we know, what we're getting because that that player just now, doesn't help I, I think, this team a
0: lot. I think that's a really really good point, and and I think you're right that it is kind of information gathering about the regime. And we knew that Jim Harbaugh for all of his all the things that he did, that he did well, one of the things that we didn't like was that he seemed to generally prefer the vet over the rookie. He seemed to generally prefer the experience. And, you know, whatever wisdom he thought was gained by having additional years.
1: Which, to be fair, you could make an argument that you can. it made more sense for a team that was a contender. You can. Right? You can. So.
0: And it's not like he benched rookies just because they were rookies, right? Like Alden yeah. Smith still played and he was in the rotation and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm I'm not saying that it was necessarily the wrong strategy, but that team sure. was ready for that kind of strategy right then. I think this team is ready for, I mean, we're not expected to win. We're not, and we shouldn't have to. So let's go ahead and develop the young group that we can so that in two and three years, we've got a lot of base under us to go ahead and make a push yeah. uh, is is kind of what, what I think it is. So along the same lines, then, when we get to wide receiver, do you keep a sixth wide receiver? And if so, whom do you keep?
1: So this one's really tough because I, I, I think I would like them to a sixth receiver but, but you're but I, you're I already have, keeping a
0: third quarterback and you're keeping a like well, a, so
1: when i started to build this I, I i couldn't i really struggled to get past 50 like i could kind of get i could get to 50 and then those cold last three bastard. spots and that included when i got the 50 that was three quarterbacks that was four running backs and so it was really tough deciding between do i keep an extra receiver uh, is there an extra cornerback there that we like? Is there an extra defensive lineman? Like, how, who among these players uh, is is worth keeping for those final three spots? Right? Who can can add value on special teams? All of those sorts of things. Um, I think it makes sense, but I just don't I, I, like. So, if I had to pick one, um, and this is a player that's going to be, you know, that I, that I included in my preview on PFF for this last preseason game, even though to be honest, I'm probably not even going to watch this game. Um, I think Kendrick Bourne has probably done more this preseason to be deserving of that spot than any other receiver. Right. It's, it's, it's really, really difficult to make an argument for somebody like Deandre Smelter or, uh, you know, somebody like, um, Victor Bolden Jr. Even though he has value in the return game, because you have other guys that can maybe have that same value. And so what does he add? that's a little bit different that, that I don't really know. Um, I don't know. There's just nobody that's really stood out there. You you know, Aaron Burbridge has been hurt and and hasn't really had an opportunity. Um, It's just not a great group to really choose from. Like you would have liked one of those bigger receivers to kind of stand out a little bit more. Um, But I think if you keep one and and you're basing that on what they've done for me this preseason and this off season, I think Kendrick Bourne's that guy.
0: I, to me, the wide receiver roster decisions are going to be some of the most telling. Not the most impactful, but the most telling. In my perfect world, Jeremy Curley gets traded. Like, I would love for Trent him to get Taylor.
1: traded. Give me all the Trent Taylor. Yeah, no,
0: I agree, yeah. because I do think Trent Taylor can fill that role, but that also then allows you to keep someone like a Kendrick Bourne, who I agree should be the person you keep if you keep six. Not not only because of his physical profile, he is six one two zero three 203, at least listed at, I mean, he's really the only... We, we don't have... This is not a tall wide receiving group. No. And, and he is among the tallest. And he's done some very, very good things against you know, some relatively inferior competition, you would hope. And so that's the dude that I would keep. But the problem is, is I haven't seen him flash on special teams. And you have someone like an Aaron Burbridge, who again, similar profile, 6'1", 208, who has flashed on special teams. He's also a second year wide receiver, even though they're both 22, 23. They're both young, I would love to keep them both. I would. And I think that necessitates trading someone like a Jeremy Curley. Um, You know, so so that's, that's kind of my perfect world. I do think they should keep six. And if that means they've got to cut Matt Barkley, I would rather keep a wide receiver than keep a Matt Barkley. Because I feel like you can find a Matt Barkley in the middle of the year. Shit, you can find a Colin Kaepernick in the middle of the year, which is a whole different story. But... You, I mean, you can find, you know, a, a second or third string quarterback in the middle of the year who can come and learn a system. I mean, at that point, your season's fucked anyway. Right. So, like, get whomever. So that, to me, is where I would expend the draft or not not the draft, but the roster capital, as opposed to that third quarterback who is deactive or who's deactivated most games anyway.
1: Yeah, I just don't know that that's the decision that they're going to have to ultimately make, right? Again, like those last few spots, I think, are difficult because they don't have players that have really stood out there, right? There's not like a sixth cornerback either that that you really feel comfortable with, that you've seen a lot from this preseason that would be nice to keep. Um, You know, there's not... I've seen some mentions of like six safeties like that's insane. That's that's an aggressive Uh, amount of safeties. I would be really, really, really surprised if they kept more than four safeties. Um, And it's just, yeah, there's not many guys. I mean, this is where this roster is at, right? They're they're rebuilding things. They don't have a 53 that you feel really confident in right
0: now. Well, let's get to the last two positions then. So let's talk about tight end. Do you keep more than two tight ends? Now that Vance McDonald is gone.
1: This is the really interesting one to me. I think that ultimately like a lot of those other ones like won't like aren't that big of a deal. Like uh, I want to see what they do here. I think kind of I've talked myself into. I think that they should keep two. Um I, I really think that George Kittle Kittle and Logan. His Poulson, name is Logan Paulson. Um, and then you really fill fill that gap with with juice, right? Like juice is your guy. You want him to be an offensive weapon. Uh, I don't know if he is that, but you want him to be that. So I think he fills uh, some of those tight end spots. I think he can do really well as like a wing tight end, you know, in, in certain cases Um, he's going to be a great run blocker there. We know that he can get out into the flat and, and, you know, do some stuff after the catch uh, on play action. So I think with having him on the roster, make somebody like, what does Garrett Selleck bring? Right? Like what, what, what do you gain by keeping Garrett Selleck on the roster? Over uh, a young receiver, a young cornerback, a young defensive lineman. Um, I think that makes a lot more sense to me.
0: Yeah. To me, this is where my soft spot for Blake Bell comes into play. And I, I think, you know, I, would
1: lo- I want him to be good. I would love for him to be good.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that he was, I mean, he was a quarterback at Oklahoma until his senior season. Yeah. And, and this is where I think that when you expend a third round pick on someone like Blake Bell, and he was third round pick for fuck's sake, like, like, which, even like just oh, take man. a moment just take a moment to acknowledge that understand that and then realize that like he requires some development but i do think that he can develop especially with his frame the dude 6566 he can develop into the logan paulson replacement i think uh and and that's where and that's why i would want to keep him because logan paulson is not going to be on the roster when this team moves on into hopefully what the next step is, which is to push your playoff to playoff contention. And that's where I would hope that you have George Kittle, Logan Paulson and Blake Bell. Blake Bell learns from Paulson over the next year or maybe two. And then you cut Logan Paulson and now you've got two remarkably amazing tight ends that have slightly different skill sets because Bell is less athletic, but is a bit better at sitting in zones and doing the types of things because of his background as a college quarterback. So that that's kind of what I hope, but I don't know that that that's going to happen because I think the logical thing is to keep two. Honestly, if yeah. you've got juice,
1: um, yeah, I think Bell offers you know a little bit more upside in the pass game, right? Like we we've, we've seen him flash a little bit there, and there there were definitely some things that he showed at Oklahoma that that uh, would you know make you encouraged about his ability there. Um, I. Yeah, it's tough because it's, it, Logan Paulson, I mean, Logan Paulson is definitely not some somebody that you worry about in the pass game. Um, he's not going to be like, he's going to probably catch some passes that are, again, like kind of gimmies in, in the play action stuff, leaking out to the flat. You don't worry about him um, not because
0: he's super good, but because you just don't have to pay attention to him in the past.
1: Yeah, game. Yeah, he, he's just not somebody that's going to be a major threat there. Um, and so that's a problem. Like ideally, if you're, you're a team that wants to, uh, play in some heavy personnel packages, right? It, you want to think about the the early Harbaugh 49ers, right, with with Vernon Davis and Delaney Walker, where you can get in multiple tight end sets and have a fullback out there and still be a threat to pass and still be a threat to pass the ball downfield um, because you have two tight ends like that that can stretch the field.
0: And it takes some time to learn how to block that way. I mean, Delaney Walker, it took some time for him yeah. to learn how to block. Vernon Davis, it took some time for him to learn how to block. George Kittle, it's gonna learn it's gonna take some time for him to learn how to block. Like, yeah, George, he was George, a
1: great, like really, really, really good run blocker at Iowa. Um, but he's had some struggles, you know, yeah, this preseason. It's gonna has. take a little bit. It, yeah. it
0: is. It's it it takes time to learn that skill, I feel like. And so that that that's kind of where I feel that that we should keep three. And that's where I, you know, we go back to the quarterback decision and I think I'm gonna keep two quarterbacks if that means I get to keep maybe an extra wide receiver and an extra tight end that is going to help create the base of this team moving forward. But let's get to the defensive line, and I've got three questions. We'll run through them really quickly. One: If you had to keep one, if you had to keep one of the other, would you keep Ronald Blair or would you keep Peter Tamu Powit? I'm not even
1: going to try. Peta T. This one's tough for me. I like Ronald Blair. Like I, I like, I liked what he brought to the table last year. You know, when we were looking at him after the draft. Um, he's actually performed really well this preseason. Like he's been one of their highest graded defenders this preseason. Um, he's played almost exclusively on the edge. You know, he was a guy that was more of an interior player last year, uh, has been more on the outside this preseason. Um, I don't know that that's his best fit. You know, so, so here's the thing. I like Ronald Blair more, I think at this point as a player, and I would really like to see them find a way to keep him on the roster but what they need more are edge players, like guys that can rush the passer off the edge. And I think PETA has, you know, he's the guy that fills that role a little bit more. You know, we don't know what we're going to get from him in that regard just yet, but, but that's the profile that he fits, right? Is, is that player coming off the edge? And so, I think it may be just with where their, their roster construction is at at this point, it makes a little bit more sense to keep him. If you have to uh, choose, I think, I mean, it'd be really great if you like, maybe that's see to me. I think that's the, the spot maybe where I would lean toward. If I have to choose between keeping a third tight end or a third quarterback or somebody like that, as opposed to an extra defensive lineman. I like what I have in this defensive line more than those guys. So yeah, that makes um, sense. ideally both. But I think if you do have to pick one between the two with where the roster is at right now, I think it probably makes a little bit more sense to keep Pita.
0: Uh, Pita Penu. is that's my guess. Sure. That's Pita, my best guess. Pita T. That's what I heard. Yeah. Pita T. Exactly. So last question for you is uh, what are you going to do if Tank Carradine starts over Solomon Thomas at the big end position?
1: I don't know. Lose my mind. Curl up into a ball and cry. Um, I don't know. That's it would just be dumb. Why would why do we have to even think about those things happening? That's, you heard it would here first,
0: folks. That'd be real dumb. Do you want to get David to cry, then get the Niners to start uh, Eric Armstead at Leo, and Tank Carradine at the big end? <laughs> that's that's what we got to do. This is our oh, charge. Wait,
1: okay, that's that's at <laughs> I thought for a second that you said Tank Carradine at Leo, and I was just like, oh my god, what are you no, to do to me?
0: No, um, not doing that. Uh, But yeah, but that about does it. You hear the outro music? That means we are fixin' to go. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Better Rivals podcast. Remember, donate if you can, if you will, to the relief efforts because of Hurricane Harvey. Uh, We will not be in any way, shape, or form talking about the game. Uh, The 4th Priest's game is tomorrow. it doesn't matter
1: honestly almost certainly not gonna watch it i don't have any uh like work to do on that like i didn't get assigned that game which is the first time uh this preseason i've been assigned a niners game yeah uh i'm happy very happy about this i'm not gonna not gonna watch it doesn't
0: i'm probably gonna watch it just because i'm a bit of a masochist and a completionist really i like to finish things uh but that's about it uh other than that next week we're going to come back with a season preview we're going to talk about what our projections are for the year what we think is going to happen and hopefully we'll have the roster figured out by then as well. So uh, that'll be it. You'll, you'll see this episode and some of the resource articles as well that we're going to post in the article itself on Niners Nation. Always leave us those five-star reviews on iTunes. I don't know if they use stars on Google Play, but if they do, why the hell not?
1: Whatever, like, the best one is, just, like, do that
0: thing. Yeah, because uh, it helps other people find the podcast, and that's good because the more people find it, the more people listen. The more people listen, the more people are educated. Um, but that might be bad for you because then other people have the same knowledge as you, and like that's a whole different thing. <laughs> so, uh, really quickly, Game of Thrones, pro incest or no?
1: I mean, pro no. I'm not pro incest. Like I'm
0: trying to box you in a corner here. Like no. Danny and John, what's going on uh, here? No,
1: not not a fan.
0: Yeah, I'm not pro incest either. I don't want to answer my pants. Is all no. I'm saying. Yeah, not doing it. Everything Can't do it. A lot of things get weird. Can't win with them. Yeah. Can't win with them. Can't do it. Nope. Uh, All right. Well, that about does it for this week's show. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners.